Sukyukyet, Ukakli Smoky Sumac, and this is the Az Kanaki podcast, where we tell two versions of the same story. Here on Az Kanaki, we understand that colonization is the breaking of relationships. It is our original instructions to hold relationships at the center of everything, whether that be relationships to our lands, waters, children, plants, animals, or to each other. In the spirit of respect for our relations, I send out a prayer for Akhames Kapikapsin, all living things. I hope that you, our listeners, are finding space to breathe, rest, and find joy and pleasure today. May this episode bring you something needed. This episode contains explicit language and conversations about being two-spirit and transgender, gender-affirming therapy, testosterone therapy, voice changes, singing, alcohol addiction, recovery, music, networking, connection, cultural teachings, ceremony, prayer, changes in personal relationships since coming out, memory and memory loss, the difference that support makes, transphobia, homophobia, ableism, enfranchisement, cultural belonging, colonization, the silent years, and the quiet years, when our languages, songs, and stories weren't being shared. If you are impacted by any of the following content, please be gentle with yourself and reach out to someone safe for support. You are not alone. Thank you for listening to the Az Kanaki Podcast. Today's episode is featuring Two-Spirit, Anishinaabe, and Métis artist G.R. Grit with songs from their album Ancestors. Ancestors is available wherever you stream music, and you can support further by purchasing the album at grgrit.com. G-R-G-R-I-T-T dot com. So let me begin with the story of my relationship to G.R. Grit, who is also known by their friends and family as Gray or Grayson. As you may already know, I am a two-spirit transmasculine person, and I have been on gender-affirming hormone therapy since fall of 2017. This means I take testosterone via intramuscular injection once a week. When I tell this story, I often talk about how many folks fear gender-affirming therapy. We are taught to view it as a huge life-changing decision. And while I can agree that it often is, I believe that we also need to be more realistic about how this therapy works which is why I want to talk about it today. I was so scared to take my first tea shot because I believed it would change my life. The truth is, I took that first shot, and my second, and my third, and honestly, nothing happened. That was actually the hardest part for me. I had expected an overnight before and after change like you see in the pictures. And there I was, no beard, no voice changes, nothing for quite a few months of hormone therapy. I'm grateful now to say that five years into my journey on testosterone, I've seen a lot of the changes I'd hoped for in those first few days. The one I want to share about today is the one you are listening to right now. Ka Akluma, my voice. Gender-affirming testosterone therapy can lower your voice. It's kind of funny because I honestly didn't know how much I would want this until I found out it was a possibility. I remember all of a sudden having a flood of memories, dreading listening to the answering machine when I called home because my dad had made me record the message and I hated hearing my voice. Funny enough, I still hate it and my dad has still not changed it on his old fax machine landline. 
that he still uses. One thing I think we talk a lot about when it comes to medically transitioning is the diagnosis of gender dysphoria and how hard it must be for people, quote, trapped in our bodies. I want to note that I'm using emphasis here to point out how coming out as trans is often painted negatively with a brush that speaks mostly to our suffering. While I don't want to discount the systems and cultures we live in that are deeply transphobic and transmisogynistic, I do want to talk about what it was actually like for me. I didn't know that I could have gender euphoria until I started dreaming of what my voice would sound like. I didn't know how good it would feel to wear men's shoes. Why I had never considered this before, I don't know. But I have much wider feet than the average woman's shoe allows for. I didn't know how good, or perhaps I should use the word affirming here, I didn't know how affirming it would be the first time I got called an asshole, instead of any of the derogatory words typically reserved for women. This happened at a gas station, and it still makes me laugh because I called a friend to be like, guess what, somebody just called me an asshole and it felt like gender euphoria. Of course, it wasn't always easy or funny, and just because I was excited about my voice changes doesn't mean everyone else was. In fact, almost any time I told anyone close to me about deciding to start testosterone, I heard a now familiar refrain. But what about your voice? What about singing? Before coming out as trans, I played music, which felt like an occasional embarrassing hobby to me. I was never well-practiced and was also in active alcohol addiction at the time. Yet many people loved my singing voice. And to be honest, in all that excitement about what I would sound like once I got on tea... I hadn't considered my singing voice and how it might change. And this is when I remembered that I knew of a musician who had gone through this experience. This was when I first really connected with Grey Grit. I often share in my workshops, talks, and classes that representation saves lives. This is not a metaphor. For myself to see and know that there was someone like Grayson out there, an Indigenous musician who had been through coming out, had been through voice changes, and had continued to sing, it meant the world to me. And what meant even more was that when I reached out, nervous and likely over-explaining myself, on a Facebook message to them asking about their experience, they wrote me back. One of the most beautiful things about being trans for me is the connections we make with each other. It felt like a full circle moment when a few months after I reached out, I was able to open for Grey at the Garnet in Peterborough, a place that holds so many memories for me and sadly one that went the way of far too many small music venues in our beloved cities. As I say full circle here, I realize that our circle is more of a spiral as we keep finding connection over the years. One of my favorite moments was running into Grayson and their partner Crystal at the New Constellation show, where the three of us wept while witnessing Jeremy Dutcher sing songs of and with his ancestors. A note here that if you haven't heard of Jeremy Dutcher, I almost want you to pause our episode and go and listen to his work immediately. It is such good medicine. If you took that advice, welcome back, and I hope you enjoyed it. Before I welcome Grayson onto the show, I also want to share that they are a huge part of this project, the Oz Kanaki podcast. Grayson is doing the sound design and mixing and is the recording engineer for us on this episode today. Their partner, Crystal, is our project manager and executive producer here on Oz Kanaki. These two have been instrumental in supporting me over the last few years in taking the leap to create art, and I am deeply grateful to them. It is an honor to be here today with Gray and Crystal and their dog pal Chestnut, who is also in studio with us today. We get to gather here in what I know as Anishinaabe territory and what my dad calls the Big Smoke, the city of Toronto. 
I was born just down the road in Scarborough General Hospital, and so it's good to be here to talk about connection, the way we birth ourselves, and finding my voice. Welcome to the show, Gray. Bonjour. <laughs> Hi. Hello. It's so nice to see you. Oh, it's great to see you. We've been doing so many Zoom calls for years, it I feels know. like. Yeah, well, it feels like because it's true. Because it's, it's true. Because <laughs> it was. I know. I, <laughs> the time isn't real, though. And the last three feel, I don't know, feel like a hundred. And also, yes, because it's, you know, when we're stuck in our houses, it almost feels like it's the same day. Yes. Over and over. How are you? Uh, well, I feel great, especially after hearing that really nice intro. Miigwech. Thank you. And for like sharing our story, because like. It's kind of awesome that there's like a record of that because sometimes I just, I forget a lot of my life mm. and especially like the years of like being on the road and touring. It's just like, what city was I in when that happened? And like, which hotel or like which venue or who was that? Who was meeting us? And it takes a bit of time of dragging the memory sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to start with like, okay, we're going to chat, but like, let's bring it to the start. Let's bring it to the beginning. Let's yeah. like get back into that mindset and remember that. And then let's let's talk about what's happened since and let's talk about everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate that. It brings up something that I think Tanil and I talked about a little bit, which was the role of storytellers and the role of remembering. And I think sometimes, well, Tanil, in our episode, we talked a little bit about how sometimes as storytellers, we forget how important this role is because... We're, you know, not in Tanil's case, when we're not scraping the hides, we're taking the photos or that kind of thing. And so I, I appreciate that you mentioned that remembering as an important space, because I think that's part of what I'm trying to do here is honor those relationships with with everyone that's been on the show. And of course, you and I have a unique experience that we share. And I appreciate it because I think you know, as someone who identifies as trans masculine and I, you know, speaking to someone who identifies as non-binary and we have these like different labels, all these labels we have of each mm-hmm. other, but really two two-spirit people who have this shared experience. I think that's a big part of why I wanted to invite you onto the show. Of course, your album is incredible and I will talk about that oh in a little gosh, bit. Thank you. <laughs> But I did want to say, just ask a question about your experience and if you wanted to share with, you heard that story off the top of being on testosterone and voice changes and if there's anything you want to pick up. Yeah. Jeez. I was so scared for how my voice would change. It was like a terrifying thing because it wasn't very, it was, it was shortly thereafter taking the leap, deciding to be a full-time artist. Mm. where before I had kind of a full-time job, still worked on music a ton, but I still had that like Monday to Friday kind of job and even sometimes like two jobs or whatever. I decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this full-time. And then I think that following spring, summer, I decided to go on testosterone. So yeah, it was scary because I'm like, will I still be able to sing? I don't know. And at that time, early 2016, 2015. <laughs> yeah, geez, what a time. I, I I remember doing so many Google searches about like, will I still be able to sing? And will I da 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 da? And there was nothing. 
mm-hmm. nothing in existence. It, it, it was basically just like 50-50, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't anything about like, here are some different strategies for trying to make this work. What helped is that I've always been able to pivot or change what I'm doing in such a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. At least I could have the trust in myself that I have all these different things that I can do and I can learn more things and that'll be okay. But uh, I really liked being, <laughs> I'm like, I really like being a singer-songwriter. It'd be cool if I could keep doing that. But I'm like, Leonard Cohen didn't have a really great voice. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and did fine. I think one of Juno, even for that. And there's lots of folks who are admired, who do not necessarily have a typically beautiful songbird type voice. Mm-hmm. So I think that also helped, but I mean... I was, I was really scared. And what happened is for me in any case, for a lot of things, when it came to like changing my name or my pronouns or anything like that, it kind of gets to this point where it's like, where I really can't, I just can't handle it anymore. It's just too much like suffering or too much. It's just too much. And I think for testosterone, I really held out for a long time because there's also like, you don't get to really choose all the things that happen. Mm-hmm. If you could just pick and choose, you know, you're you're going through the cafeteria, you're like, oh, I'll take a little side of the voice, but only a little bit. And I'll take a little bit of the, this little thing. I don't want that one though. That'd be kind of cool. But it's it's really like, you don't get to decide the changes that'll happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of, it's all or nothing. So... I wait, 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 wait until it's kind of like unbearable. And then I'm like, okay, well, I have now I have no choice. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to go and just talk to my doctor and get that, which that was kind of an experience in and of itself, because a lot of the times, even if you have a really good doctor, if you're lucky and you have a a pretty decent or pretty good doctor, you're still going to end up educating them a whole bunch about that. So I was finally able to start. And just like you, it was kind of like, what's going to happen, you know? And, (laughs) uh, I remember my voice changing pretty fast. Mm. I felt like I already had a pretty kind of low register voice. Obviously not like it is right now. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I had a bit of an atypical voice. But I mean, I still feel like it's changing today Mm -hmm. and still deepening. And I know that happens naturally with anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, it's pretty interesting. So (laughs) did that answer your question? Yeah, of (laughs) course. Thank you. I know I was like, there's so much there. Um, One of the things that I really wanted to pull out was that you talked about the, I want to find the word for it, but sort of, I guess acceptance would be the word of, I'm going to do this because I need to do it. I have to do this for myself. And if that means that my job changes, that my role changes, I then I will I'm embrace that right and yeah. I hope that I can still sing. Um, I think the way that I described it to someone is like, okay, I can sing now, but I think it, like if I don't start this, I don't think I'll want to sing. Mm-hmm. So what's the point of being able to sing if I don't feel the joy of wanting to sing? Yeah. Whereas I will take that risk of starting this hormone therapy. Maybe I won't be able to sing professionally or anything like that, but I'll still feel the desire to sing. And isn't that a good thing? And I love that. I think that's so real is that we, to make these decisions and they can feel scary, but at the same time, like that, to me, that shows just how much we needed 
this medicine or mm-hmm. this this choice that we're making. And also there's a couple of things in that of first of all, maybe you can't sing professionally, but guess what? We can all sing, right? Exactly. There's that singing like in our cultures and in indigenous cultures, singing is prayer. It's not just for capitalists, you know, me, it's not for capitalist means, I should say. And so really thinking about that adapting and also, yeah, that, that adapting and saying, I'm okay if, if my role changes. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, I, I think of my teachers who basically have said that we've just used everything that came to us all the time. And so I learned this one time when I was, um, learning wild racing from James Wheatung in Curve Lake. And he was like, well, I just got really curious. And I would, as the technology came, I would follow the elders and they would go and they'd be using a vacuum to do winnowing or to get the (laughs) chaff or whatever. And so he's created all these machines to do wild racing. And, and it makes me think of like this, this adaptability, this idea that we're like, actually we we're going to be who we are and we're going to use the tools around us. Mm And I wanted to share that a little bit because I've been thinking about it for myself. When I started TE, I was really, really nervous for many different reasons, but also like one of them was relying on the medical industrial complex for, you know, like dealing with this and also like Western medicine and what am I doing? And I actually, I remember going to my only full moon ceremony, which is at the time where I was, was specifically for women. And I went and I brought my first vial of testosterone and I prayed about it and it's so interesting to me thinking about that like fear and in that moment like realizing and learning I think I have a poem about this in the book but learning and thinking about the moon and and having this feeling like I was going to be judged or I was turning my back on these women's teachings this sort of this binary thing that happens Mm -hmm. and then in the poem I have I talk about how a grandmother is still a grandmother. Like if we're going to call the moon a grandmother, which in some teachings it is, the grandmother is still a grandmother, whether the grandchild is boy, girl, or neither or both, Mm -hmm. or whoever you are out there. Mm -hmm. And so I I remember having sort of this understanding and, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot is how we make these decisions and then the universe sort of like the timeline unfolds, if you want to say that, or that we made this decision. And and I think we've talked about this before where you made this decision and you still wanted to sing and you could have easily faced those panic attacks and walked off the stage and never come back. Right. And that could be, you could, I mean, you could have a whole different life. And I think we, we make these decisions and things shift for us. I'm grateful you didn't because I'm like, I love this album. (laughs) Um, I think when we make these choices, one of my teachers talks about how there's not really any wrong choices, that we make the choice. And then I see it as like a card shuffling deck and then the Mm. universe sort of adapts. But I also, I think sometimes we get this idea of like, spirit is in charge or if I, there's an Anishinaabe teaching of like, we chose are this life Mm -hmm. and so I think I've heard some young people say and I think probably myself even felt this way where I was like well if I chose it then there's nothing I can do and all these things are happening like it's this is the road that I have to follow and this teacher was like no it's not like that it's like you and the universe are working together and so I'm thinking about that choice we made and how that shifted our lives and yet you continue to choose to sing and I think you said that to me you said, just keep singing. 
I don't know if you remember this, but in our conversation, I know it's it's amazing. This is my favorite thing about like trans people is we have these like incredible like mind blowing conversations and like life changing conversations, which Grayson was just being themselves and sharing what they knew. And yet they just said, just keep singing. And it was like this piece that I'm like, it's like, just keep swimming, right? It's this piece that like changes, changed my life and helped me be like, yeah, it's okay. And the same thing about being on tea, right? It's okay. And people will be like, well, how did you know? And I'll be like, well, I kind of choose every week still to this day, whether, and I, you know, I started five years ago and every week I keep doing it. And sometimes I've gone up and sometimes I've gone down and I, you know, I've chosen these these decisions, but I think it's that difference between, you know, we talk about the binary, but it's the difference between that before and after photo and what our lives are actually like, which is just seeing how it goes. And speaking of your voice changing, I find that too all the time. And I was actually very nervous to do podcasting because I was like, oh, I want it to sound very, I want it to sound very good, right? And it's oh, like, it, your voice <laughs> sounds really good. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah. I, I do think that I was very, you know, the, these has to sound low or it has to sound this. And yet, isn't it beautiful? Like that we just share, share our song, our voice, our, our speech, whatever it is. And I, I can't say enough that your album ancestors, mm-hmm. I, I think the question I want to ask, I know we just went in circles and I went all over cause that's <laughs> what I do. Um, but I think the question that I want to ask, because for myself, and I, I guess I'll talk for myself, my understanding, my gender identity and even choosing to transition came from a journey of getting sober for, for myself. That was a big deal because I was drinking to run. And at some point I had to go, what am I running from? And sort of ask these questions and to sort of be okay to be in my body. The alcohol allowed me to not be in my body and allowed me to sort of mask and be this other person. Mm-hmm. And so getting into recovery, which is on my mind right now, because tomorrow, as we're recording this, tomorrow is my six-year sobriety date, which is, Whoa. it feels wild. Yeah. And it's also my five-year date on testosterone, because I chose the day to start. I have I chose- goosebumps. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I chose, I was a year sober and I chose that day to start because it meant this huge shift for me. And it was, you know, I took that year and I changed and I saw myself and then I decided to do this. And I'm I'm overwhelmed by it in this way. But I think the other piece of this is that it was my indigeneity, my connection to indigenous ceremony, my connection to these conversations that allowed me to get to this. So it's always like the recovery and the testosterone and the transitioning and the claiming myself as Chunaka, claiming myself as Two-Spirit that really is all linked together. And I wanted to ask, I had, like I did listen years ago, like when we were starting to talk, I actually listened to some of your former music and because I was like, oh, you know, you get all... You get all obsessed, right? With the mm-hmm. voice changes and what's oh, it going to be man. like and what did you sound like before? And yeah. I mean, for me, I have a very, like, it's it's such an interesting reaction to my former voice. But I also wonder how your, like, your connection, this album is, very, like, this album is Indigenous, like, is mm-hmm. about your home and your connection and your language and all of that. And so I, I'm wondering about that link in your own journey or if that shifted it's a good question. 
there's so much that I don't remember mm. about these periods that I would describe as very hard. Mm-hmm. This thing of like deciding to go on tea came after a lot of other things, realizing, okay, I like, you know, I'm trans, I'm non-binary. I am going to have top surgery. And up to that point, I was not interested in hormone therapy. Mm. After top surgery, that was very affirming for me. That really helped me to be in my body in a way that I wasn't really able to before. I thought, yeah, that's it. Perfect. But as time went on, I realized it wasn't enough. And really through a lot of these processes, I felt very alone. For top surgery, that was a process I had to do very publicly in order to leverage that with the government of the Northwest Territories Mm -hmm. in order to have top surgery covered by healthcare. Mm -hmm. Going through that publicly, I heard a lot of people's opinions. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks felt very comfortable sharing their opinions about my name change, about my pronouns, about top surgery. <laughs> I mean, there were some things that were positive or even just neutral, but a lot of this stuff was not very positive. You know, you'd be out performing or even like you're just out at a bar or something. And, you know, people have had a little bit too much to drink and they're just very happy to share their opinions. I think there's some folks who don't even remember the things that they've said to me Mm. because I know how they've greeted me afterwards as if nothing had happened. And I'm like, oh, you don't even remember, which on one hand, I feel so unfair because I do. But on the other hand, maybe I can let go of that too, because they're not carrying it. So why should I? Mm. There's a lot of things I've carried for a long time or it's still in the back of my head when I see certain people. I hope They don't still think that thing that they said to me. So I think that was all very hard. And uh, my brain was like, you know, I think we're just going to compartmentalize that for Mm -hmm. you. I think we're just going to try and ease and mitigate that suffering a bit. So there's lots of stuff I just don't really remember. What I do remember is that my good friends, my close friends, my family, their support was everything. Mm. It was so amazing. The people who did rally together to support all those things. It really made it possible where I didn't feel as alone and feel like I'm going to be an outcast or alienated Mm -hmm. or feel like I'm going to be some sort of public spectacle or I'm going to be everyone's Wikipedia of trans stuff. So in a lot of ways, too, I did feel protected by the people who loved me Mm -hmm. and many of which still do. And I love them, too. So getting into testosterone, I was at a point where I was breaking into tears every day Mm -hmm. for a while. I felt very raw. I was just this raw nerve and everything just felt like too much and life felt very hard. And that's when I was like, I got to change and do this thing. And at the same time, I was like, well, I never want to do this before. And now for some reason, I believe that this is going to help me. But what if it doesn't? And And also having the same thoughts about like, I'm going to need this for the rest of my life. And anyone who's on testosterone knows that there are times where things are on back order and you cannot access certain varieties of testosterone. And for me, I can only use one particular injectable one because I'm kind of allergic to the other one. Mm -hmm. So that complicates things. And so I know I thought about that too, of like down the line, if I can't get this, what is this going to do? And that's scary. You know, it's scary to rely on those things. And I was just like, I don't want to have to rely on this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that probably has even some parallels to ableism of like, I don't want to have to go through life in a different way. 
in this life that is not very friendly to people who are not fully able. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of resisted, even though it was so much suffering, I like kind of resisted. And finally I was just like, I got to do this. Mm -hmm. As for how like identity or teachings rolled into it. I think by that point I'd already had a friend that I kind of looked up to. He's from Whitehorse and I learned a lot from him and he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. He's the one who sat me down and was like, you're too spirit. I was like, but I don't really know yeah. what that means. We had a lot of conversations about it and him kind of explaining some things. And he's like, I think you should use it. And if you need permission, here's permission. Use it. And I think you should. That's who you are. That was really helpful because when you're so disembodied from yourself, it's really hard to get in touch with yourself and see yourself really as you are. Mm -hmm. So it is really helpful when there are people that you admire or trust that can look at you and be like, this is how I see you. Mm -hmm. I see you as this. I think this is who you are. I see you as a leader. This is how I see you. I see you as this type of person, this empathetic person, I see, like, whatever it is. It's mm -hmm. just, it's so great when there's someone who has more experience, more wisdom, who is kind, who can see you and put that mirror up and be like, hey, this is you. And if you want that label, it is still up to you, but this is how I see you. If you need permission, here you go. Not that I think you actually need it, but maybe there's something inside of you that feels like you need it. I think a lot of people shy away from using the label trans, because they're like, I'm not trans enough, but I didn't do this. And I didn't go through this hormone therapy, but I didn't get this surgery. But none of that actually matters. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's helpful to have like a trans or queer elder to look at you and be like, no, that's you. Mm -hmm. I see you. And you can just feel like oh, someone finally sees me. I'm not invisible anymore. So him saying that made me feel like, okay, I feel like maybe that is what I can use. And there is something inside of me that feels like that's true. And so I was like, okay. I'll do that. And it felt like a way to also be like, okay, I trust you. Mm -hmm. I respect that. Mm -hmm. And then down the line, you did the same thing with me. And I, I mean, I still think I have doubts to this day because I'm also like, I don't know what that means in relation to everything yet, but that's okay. Because mm -hmm. I'm still learning and on this journey and I'm just going to keep learning and that's it. So I think, you know, you also coming into my life and us having conversations and you just being like, you don't need my permission to use this, but that's how I see you. Mm -hmm. It just feels like, okay, I'm allowed. Mm -hmm. you know? That's the magic of trans people is that we, everybody is transitioning all the time. And we actually just, we didn't have a choice. We had to become ourselves in a way. And I hope that that, like, I want that freedom for everybody. I always say yes. like, we have to be asking these questions. Who am I? What does it feel like? If I use this, what does it feel like to be this? I always talk about when I was in high school and everyone would be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always laugh because I, when I was like in grade 11 and 12, I would be like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a veterinarian. Like I would just try every time someone asked me because they always <laughs> ask you. I would just try things on and see how they felt. Yeah. And it's kind of funny now because I, I still do that. Like you mentioned the leap to being an artist and to choose this full time. That's such a huge, scary thing to do. And still, I'm like, what does it feel like to do that? What does it feel like to say, I have a podcast? And I think we should be trying it on like clothes. We should be allowed it, that freedom to decide who we are. And we need to also support each other in finding that space and yeah. in, in witnessing. 
So I've talked a little bit about this album, and there's a couple songs on it that I, I will feature today. But really, this one struck me. And I think it's because I watched your album launch, and so you were telling stories as well. Watch it put you on my TV. It was <laughs> I was so excited. I, I think it was also like pandemic. You launched an album in the pandemic too, yeah. right? And so it was this like way to connect, and it meant so much to me. But this song, "The Quiet Years," I think we'll talk a little bit about what it meant to you and the the understanding around it. But the story I want to share in this framework I'm using for this podcast, Oz Ganaki, to tell two versions of the same story. The story I want to share today is a story of my own quiet years, which I think we've been talking about already. in silence hoping to be strong hanging in the balance wondering how long you could hold on waiting out the quiet Thank you. 
Clearing out the quiet years When I think of this song and my connection to Grey, I think of what it meant to live masking. I have a line in a poem in my book that says, Before I was queer. No, before I knew I was. Before I claimed my indigeneity. Before I claimed my masculinity. Before I held myself as a neurodivergent, two-spirit, queer adoptee. A Tanaka warrior, a poet, a person in recovery from active addiction. The story I want to tell is about the power of prayer. And this links back to my conversation with Niscot poet Janelle Silverwolf, where I shared the teaching, It's Never What You Think. Years ago, I went to my first Tanaka New Year's ceremony. I remember walking in and being overwhelmed by the power of coming home into my nation, with the familiarity of the faces around me. As I think of this story, I remember the late Dan Joe, always smiling, welcoming me home. It was in this ceremony that as we danced, I realized how much I wanted to know the songs. My late ceremony mom, Carol Edelman Warrior, and I used to get real philosophical in our spiritual discussions. One time we got talking about whether the spirits could metaphor. Another time, the day she named me Smokey, we laughed when I asked her how to spell it. I don't know. They didn't spell it. They just said Smokey. (laughs) (laughs) What I do know is that when we pray, the answer may come and not be what you think. At that New Year's dance, I prayed to find my voice. Whether or not the spirits understand metaphor, I'll leave that with the great mystery. But I will say that I had no idea at the time what it would mean to find gender-affirming hormone therapy and to find, literally, ka akluma, my voice. I think of those quiet years when I knew so few songs. I think of those quiet years in my own life, which were actually, oddly enough, very loud years. I remember my ceremony dad telling me once when I visited in those before times, he would sometimes have to leave the room to rest his ears. I hold space today for the pang of shame that still comes with that. That young woman I was who always felt unheard and was often so much louder because of it. I have a poem that's like, if people listened, would I be quiet? I remember always wanting to be quieter. I even remember as a kid, I would go to school and I'd be on the bus and I'd be like, today, I'm going to be quiet. And by second period, realizing I had been talking so much already and I couldn't change who I was. I feel like I'm more comfortable with quiet now. I'm more likely to talk to those who listen to me instead of yelling, trying to get everyone to hear. It's good to be where I'm at today, comfortable in sharing ka akluma with you. I'm grateful that this prayer has been answered. I think about my own nation and the stories the elders tell. There was an adoptee that came home And it's not really my story to tell, but essentially they had found their file and some really horrible things had happened to them. And when the social worker found them, they were in a pretty rough state and they were an infant. And so when they came home, they went to their elders and their aunties and they said, how did this happen? And the old people said, well, that's when we were all drinking. And I think about it as my own history of addiction and recovery and that 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 time of that quiet space where I wasn't singing the prayers I wasn't I didn't know myself 
And it's devastating to think of these times in our communities. And so I, I know that this song speaks to that. And I am grateful for this piece. And I, I would love to hear more about, I would love to share more about how this song came to be. Yeah, I, you know, there are a few dimensions to the song and what the quiet years means. One of them is learning about some Haida history, about the silent years, which is this era of smallpox. Uh, I was going to say arriving on the island, mm, being used as a biochemical weapon against indigenous peoples from settlers, colonizers. And then you had the criminalization of language, culture, ceremony, songs, of everything. And then you had a residential school system come onto the island. And so the hider, like, these are the silent years of no songs, of no potlatch, of no coming together publicly, obviously Indigenous folks have always found ways to continue ceremony, culture, songs of sharing that knowledge. And now there's all this revitalization happening and repatriation happening, which is like, it's so amazing to see all the amazing work that's being done. And that, it made me reflect on mine and my mom's and my Nana's and her father's, you know, my ancestors' experiences with colonization, with Catholic school and the community, with shutting down that part of your identity and not passing it along to the next generation, thinking maybe it would be better for them. In 1935, my great-grandfather was enfranchised. So my great-grandfather's daughter, my Nana, born two years after that, 1937, so she's born, she has no status. In the eyes of the government, you know, not Indigenous whatsoever. And my mom tells me stories about some things she learned from my Nana or some things that she thought were just kind of like, oh, well, everyone does this. But it's like, no, Indigenous people do that in secret. And they'll rename things so that it doesn't seem Indigenous, you know. Oh, this is just this. It's not Bannock, it's elephant ears, <laughs> you know, just as like one small example. You didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people from that area that, again, to this day, do not talk about being Indigenous. They might acknowledge now, but there's a lot of work being done to make that a prideful thing still to this day. So just seeing how my Nana didn't share anything, I think she maybe knew some language and she knew some things, but maybe didn't see the value in sharing, maybe was scared, maybe it's just safer this way. And she grew up, you know, a really devout Catholic and was that because the school in the community, you know, run by nuns and probably. So that doesn't get transferred to my mom. So then that doesn't get transferred to me and my siblings. And I often think about how completely different things could have been mm. and how having connection to your identity, your culture, your heritage, that identity is so important for feelings of belonging, of feeling like you belong to people and people belong to you you belong to a culture that culture belongs to you that sense of belonging is so important i still feel pretty angry at the government for that mm -hmm. and the people who enacted that that could have made different choices yeah it made me reflect on like wow okay i see the impacts of colonization just in my own family and i'm just talking about a handful of people that i know mm -hmm. and if i think about the immensity of that impact it's like oh that just feels so huge and so big. I wanted to write something about it. I wanted to do something about it. And I wanted to ask some questions. You know, my Nana passed when I was in high school. I think it was like 14 or 15. 
And I didn't know to ask all these questions, right? Because I'm just like this kid and I don't know. And I'm like internalizing my own quiet years as well of being this queer person, of being trans, of being all these things and not being able to share any of them. So much of my life was really lived inside my head trying to be like, don't do this, don't do that. If you do this, they might see that as you being queer. And if you do this, I mean, not that I even knew the word queer then, but you know, oh, they'll know you're different. Don't hug that person too long because they might think you're different. Don't do this thing. Don't do that thing. Always trying to feel safe and feel like I'll be accepted and I won't disappoint anyone by being gay or by being trans, which again, is not even a word. It was not even a possibility. And I can think back of all these memories being really young. Not all these memories, some memories. Because again, I, there's a lot I don't remember. And I'm going to therapy and learning that trauma does this. So I do have some memories of thinking, oh, if I could just be a boy, like I want to be that way so that I could just like this person and it not be a big deal. I was like six or seven having that thought. That means something. But then having to shut that off. You can't share that. You can't have these conversations with anyone, especially not your friends, because you're already getting bullied so much anyways. You can't do that. But you can't talk to your parents either. Talking to your parents also feels hard about anything that is remotely embarrassing. <laughs> Having all these quiet years of my own of so much internal dialogue happening and having to keep things to myself and really being careful about what I can share and why, that really sucks. <laughs> I feel grateful that I can be way more myself and be way more open as I am now. That's some life-saving stuff. Mm. You have... The quiet years, yes, colonization and this and that. And then you keep going down that road and yeah, that means homophobia and transphobia. That came from the same place. It's wild to think about all the quiet years between you and me and Crystal and all the people that we know that we love. How many years of silence? Mm -hmm. How many years of not being able to share that? It's devastating to think about. Mm. What I try to think about is, well, we helped to... Not only were there some roads made for us where we were at, we've also helped to maintain and create even more pathways and roads for other people who are coming up on that journey. And thinking of that helps to soften the feelings about having to hide. I did get to like come out. I get to be who I want to be. That's because of people before me and people beside me, and it's going to make it easier for the people coming up. And that makes it so much easier to exist and to breathe and to just know that there are people who are not going to have to go through this like we mm -hmm. went through this and isn't that incredible and wonderful and let's lean into that joy and celebration you know mm -hmm. yeah exactly and i think it's the perfect segue into my next conversation which is I have seen advertising for trans people choosing to go on testosterone and talking about singing and there's coaching now yeah. around it, which is new. The other one that just comes to mind was uh, you mentioned about like the medical, like relying on testosterone. And I wanted to say thank you for bringing ableism into the conversation because I think I'm unpacking that a lot about how I respond to this. But I also wanted to just note that I have my doctor prescribe me two at a time. <laughs> so you can get that done. And I want any trans people listening to this that you can actually yeah. do that. And I'm like, I literally consider stockpiling sometimes. So 
um, I wanted to mention those two things in this way of supporting trans people that are listening yes. and that so that you don't have to go through what we went through. But I also want to talk about the joy and the euphoria and the connection. And while, you know, we talked about the quiet years and we talk about that there's some slow, I mean, there's songs I wept to on this album. And then there's your dance party track, Ancestors, <laughs> right? And this is how this is how I feel about it. I'm like, this, this is this song that when I'm really down, I put on. And I wanted to just talk about that line. Like, don't you know that you're sacred, right? Baby, which I love. Don't you? So yeah. Like, now I've got it in my head. Um, I just needed two more syllables there, you know? I but just needed something. And I was so, like, well, what, I, what would I, who would I say that to? And it's like, yeah, yeah, babe. Yeah, yeah, babe. And it's great <laughs> because it's, because like, you know, don't you know you're sacred, my girl, my boy, yes. my child, my friend, and baby, which I yes. love. You're like, hey, babe, like this. Just like, it's very open yeah. gender wise. Yes. <laughs> but I think this space, right, where we can talk about, you're talking about colonization and all these ways in which they told us we weren't sacred and we had to do all these things to be sacred. And like, that's the, with Christianity, I just yeah. go, you know, and I, and I, to, whenever I say this, I'm like, you know, I know there's many queer people changing what Christianity means, for I sure. hope. And I have a lot of respect for people and their beliefs. And yet when we look at what it has done to us and these decisions of like, basically saying you are not sacred unless you do these yeah. things you're not secretive you know all these kind of and i think we could be clear to be like if we were actually talking about the teachings of god or jesus right. or da, 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 they don't have a problem with me no they would be dancing to this track well, <laughs> 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 i think to link it back to this thing of what what was done to us and what was we were told we weren't sacred and yeah. so to call back that what you're saying in this song and this celebration that is witnessing that in somebody else, right? Witnessing that in ourselves and somebody else. Don't you know that you're sacred and that our ancestors are always here? I think of the reservation dog scene where, you know, when you oh pray hard, God. they're all around you, right? Oh, uh, shout out me. to reservation dogs. <laughs> I think I want to leave it with the dance party track and... Yeah. Just share that honoring and to say that we've talked a lot about the weight of how these things have impacted us and these stories and the forgetting. I, I really resonate with, you know, not having memories. Yet, I also think that we are finding ourselves, we're finding each other, we're taking care of each other. Yeah. And I mean, I just wanted to have a song that acknowledges like, oh man, yeah, sometimes uh, shit's hard yeah, and things are unfair and there's these systems and things are stacked against. But man, the fact that we are here and dancing and still living, isn't that a testament to how badass we are? Mm -hmm. And can we just celebrate that? <laughs> Miigwech. And we'll leave you with the track Ancestors. I hope that you turn it up and dance and feel some joy today. Dachas. You ask for a seat and there's no room. You walk that path, but you can't come through. You ask to be heard and you your voice then they might shoot 
studio in Toronto for the recording space. The song Ancestors features the brilliant artist Kim Wardle. Thank you also to our podcast team, sound designer, audio engineer, and editor Grayson Grit of Minotan Music, and producer Crystal Strong of Awesome Artist Management. We would like to thank the Canada Council for the Arts for their generous funding of Season 1. 